The Do More Good Podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good Podcast. Do More Good. Do Good, Do More. Do More Good Podcast. Do More Good Podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. Okay. You're listening to the Do More Good Podcast. From the International Fundraising Congress. IFC. International Fundraising Conference. 2019. Here in Amsterdam in 2019. So here we are, James. Our first episode from Foreign Shores. Mm, we've gone international, Kenneth. We have. We have. We are in the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite. It was quite a journey last night. We got the the Eurostar out of St Pancras, and then you made us jump off the train. You spotted a shortcut, and when we jumped on another train and got a taxi for about three hours. But it all worked out well. We're here. It all worked out well. We got here in the end, and we, did, and we didn't pay for the train journey from Rotterdam to here. Well, that, was, that was an entirely innocent mistake, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Although the guy at the, uh, at the gates when we tried to, to get out obviously told us so. It, yeah, he, he wasn't overly happy with this, uh, the tourists. No. You must, you, anyone travelling to Holland, you must buy a ticket in advance, yeah. is the key message. But we are here for IFC which we've both been, well, we've both heard of for a number of years, but never never came, and we got the opportunity this year. How are you, are you looking forward to it? Oh, God, yeah, really looking forward to it. Everyone I've mentioned it to beforehand has said how brilliant it's going to be, so high expectations for the next couple of days, particularly for your <laughs> session at half past two. Yeah, let's not mention that. Yeah, looking forward to that one. One and a half past two today, and then later on this evening as well. But no, it should be, I think I'm, I'm really interested in what the international flavour adds to it like people coming from other shores to spread their knowledge and, and what we can take from them because I think we're a little bit kind of you know on that island we're a little bit locked in we're a little bit insular we don't necessarily at least in my experience look a lot externally at what's going on in other countries so I think that for me is going to be a real eye-opener. Yeah it's interesting we have such a vibrant charity scene in the mm-hmm. in the UK people doing good it'll be interesting to get a few different accents on the on the Do More Good podcast. That's our challenge, to see how many accents we can get on. Yeah, exactly. No, it should be good. Right, let's crack on, eat breakfast, and we'll get down there. Nice one. See you in a bit. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast from the International Fundraising Congress here in Amsterdam in 2019. It is time for action. 
action. What do we actually mean by action? There are so many different interpretations, but what does it mean for all of you? For some of us, it means activism. For others, it means making a commitment to reduce the amount of waste that we produce on this planet. For some of us, it means talking about what's going on in our organizations, our charities, our fundraising, our models, what change looks like. But we've been talking about change for so long. We talk about it so much. We're not just here to talk about change. We're not just here to think about change. In order for meaningful action to take shape, we have to get really concrete about what that looks like. And that is what this year's IFC theme is all about. Now, we have to give ourselves some credit. We have been doing the action. We've been putting in, putting in the work. We've been campaigning. We've been rallying. We've been lobbying our governments. We've been fighting corruption and inequality and injustice. We've been raising our fists and standing up and forming movements. We've been fundraising, talking about how we switch things up how we do things in our organizations. We're trying to make some kind of sense at a time in this world that feels a little bit uncomfortable. It is time for action. Now, I can't stand up here and talk about time for action without telling you a little bit about me and what my time for action was. So I was one of the fortunate fundraisers who got sent Okay, Kenneth, so we've just sat through the, uh, the plenary here and I think that, that is top of the list for me. That's the best one I've ever seen. I'd agree, James. I think it was amazing to hear a real story. I've, I'm just trying to find the name of the guy to give him his props. What was it? William Kamkwamba. And he talked about his film and growing up in Malawi and coming up and innovating and developing a... What is it, a windmill that's stood in front of us now? Um, and, and how that helped his family and avoid famine. And Yeah, great inspiring story. And unfortunately our listeners won't, won't have heard it, but I look out the story and look out the film. The Boy, the boy Who Harnessed the Wind is the name of the film on Netflix, and I, I, I recommend anyone. I'm going to certainly go home and watch it. I think the kids will enjoy it. It looks really great. And I just took a, a quote from him talking at the end there when he, when he sat with the speaker afterwards. And he, and he talked about, you know, what does IFC mean? And the, the kind of theme here is around time for action. And one of the nice things that he said is that, you know, every person in this world, in this room at the moment has an opportunity. And every, every journey starts with a step. And I thought that was a really nice thing of breaking it down. Like, we don't have to have all the biggest, most radical ideas. Just take that small step can also lead to something big, and you never, you never know what it might lead to. Basically. Exactly that. So where does your journey take you next? Well, you're, off to the, you're off to the big stage, aren't you? I'm off to the stage. I'm going to go and take a small step there. Hopefully it goes well. Right, I'm off to catch another session. Good luck, man. Hope it goes well. All right, see you in a bit. Okay, we're recording. So if you can just introduce yourself, tell us your name and what organization you're from. Sure, my name is Joana Calazans. I am from SOS Children's Village in Brazil. It's quite early in IFC, but what are you hoping to get out of the next couple of days? Oh gosh, I know it's a mind-blowing event and you're getting 
in touch with so many people and you learn so much, uh, especially for me who's in South America and fundraising, it's not something that it's uh, well developed there. Okay, well, we're going to put you on the spot, Joanna. We've got some question cards in front of you. So if you'd like to just pick one of these and then read it out and if you can answer the question, that would be great. If you could give your 20 years old self some advice, what would it be? I would say do what makes you happy and not what people expect you to do. Uh, I guess it took me 10 years, it took me to my 30s to realize that and start working uh, within the line that I actually wanted to work with. <laughs> Brilliant. That's a, that's a really good one. You did well for the first one, so thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the conference. No problem. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. Really happy to be here. My name is Kenneth Foreman. I'm the head of charities at London Marathon Events. And don't worry, I'm not going to get you all to run a marathon, that's for sure. But what I am going to talk to you is, is about a brilliant idea that I wish I had thought of. What I really love about this sector is the collaboration, the creativity, but products and campaigns. So it's an absolutely fantastic organisation. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Thank you to all the great speakers and the organisers for putting this on. And that's why I wish I So, I've just come out of a great session with Charlotte and Andrew from Versus Arthritis and Good Innovation, respectively, all around faking it till you make it and spinning up new startup businesses. So, do you want to tell us just a bit of background on that? Where did, where did this project begin for you guys? Well, this project started back in 2016 for the charity that was previous to Versus Arthritis, which was Arthritis Research UK. We were a deeply scientific medical research charity and really reliant on two income streams, one being legacies, which was giving us about 18 million a year but was in decline, and the second, which was intellectual property income from a patent from a drug that has been the best global selling drug for arthritis and from that we were getting 50 million pounds a year but patents have a shelf life and that was coming to an end in 2019 so we knew we had a bit of a financial cliff looming we realized we needed to diversify our income and that's really where this project started we wanted to look outside of traditional voluntary income streams traditional fundraising portfolios and look at commercial or earned income so the big bad profit word. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. And that's where, Andrew, you came on board. Yeah, we started with, I guess, the first question of many. And the first question being, what is the big idea? So we spent a few months scouring the organisation, uncovering, we call it all the assets and capabilities that the organisation has, like the, both the physical pieces and the kind of intangible kind of like magic to really uncover like actually what is it within the organization that might have the potential to be pointed in a slightly different direction and to kind of be the basis of kind of new commercial opportunities and one of the things that we uncovered I mean it sounds obvious but the the kind of like massive insight into the needs of people with arthritis the access to people with arthritis and all that kind of like health information and marrying that up to actually uncovering a market failure around physical products for people with arthritis so we were like oh this is really interesting there's a unmet need in the market and we've got a brand we've got expertise we've got knowledge we've got reach that actually has a real right to play in solving that need kind so of where we you, got so you came up with that internally and then i guess that the pressure was on to prove that this 
was a viable product. Absolutely. So even though we had a hunch around there might be a gap in the market, we hadn't done enough analysis to put together a business case or an investment case to convince anyone in the organization. So we then spent quite a bit of time analyzing the market even further. We looked at the design, the designers in the market. We looked at the manufacturers. We looked at other retailers. We spoke to a lot of people with arthritis. We spoke to occupational health therapists, physios, everybody out there we could lay our hands on we spoke to and that insight led us to develop the business model even further and how long did that take to do all of that research it took about eight months altogether actually and it it might seem like a bit of a luxury of time but for us it was really important to get that depth because that helped evidence and support the business case and then the internal sell-in it's quite interesting because, it, I mean, it, it sounds like it was something completely outside of your lane, so to speak. You're right. That it, was, it was a completely new area. Yeah, so, that yeah. the, you know, the, the charity only knew scientific research. <laughs> you know, it, did, it, it didn't have any experience in manufacturing, product development, selling. You know, we, we didn't think commercially. Of course we didn't. We were a charity. Mm. So, and then you went rogue and you did something quite out there to, pr- to prove that there was demand for this. Yeah. So the problem that we faced was convincing the trustees that this was a good thing. Like we'd done all the work in theory, we'd done spreadsheets and presentations and talked to people, but you know what people say and what people do are ultimately very different. Ultimate way to get proof is to get money because that's the ultimate proof that someone wants something. But it's very difficult to get money when you don't actually have any products to sell. So we basically built and sold fake products to get people to, con- to convince people that there was a market here. We commissioned a bunch of uh, industrial product designers to create a product suite. We got a suite of about 20 products that were CAD designed. We then built a fake shop with a fake brand and ran a fake marketing campaign. It was an actual marketing campaign to our shop. Uh, And we actually built two shops. So we stocked one shop full of our products that we just invented, and we stocked another shop full of existing products that were out there. Because what we were trying to prove is that people would actually buy them. So people would go to the shops, they would look at the products, they would put them in their baskets, they would check out, they'd press the checkout button, and then we would tell them that it was an experiment. So we basically got as lifelike an experience as we could get without people having to put their credit card details in. That was amazing. How did that go down with the consumers who came in and tried to purchase things? Like, I'm just thinking if I'm on John Lewis or Tesco and I've done my shop and I've put my basket full of all my goods for the week and then go to check out and it's like, oh, you can't buy it now, I'll be like... Especially if it's a product that actually is going to really benefit you in your in your life that you've maybe been waiting for for years. Well, actually, we didn't reference the charity at all, so there was right. no danger okay. that there was going to be any bad press to the charity. That was the first thing. And actually, when people went through and got a message pop up saying that this was an experiment and that we believed that there was a need in the market, but we were just testing it, we were mm. very honest. Mm. We had fantastic reaction. Nobody complained, and a lot of people basically wrote and said well can you just tell us when they're ready because we want to buy them yeah. uh, plus people posted on facebook some really encouraging things as well and did you have buy-in did you tell people that you were going to do this you know did you have buy-in from higher up in the organization to set up your fake shop i'm guessing you you did it wasn't a complete rogue it wasn't completely rogue no <laughs> but i don't think <laughs> i don't think we shared the detail okay. we just shared the the 
principle of what we were going to yeah. do. But actually, there was no risk. There was no risk to the charity, no. so it was it was yeah. fine. Obviously, this uh, spoiler alert: this went well. Otherwise, you wouldn't be presenting at the IFC. Yeah, the comparison between the f- the existing and our new fake products was amazing. Like we had, I think we spent about just over fifteen hundred pounds on ad campaigns for both. So the ad campaigns were exactly the same. The spend was exactly the same. Targeting the same. Uh, So people were buying products from both shops, as we'd expect, but a third more people were buying products in our shop. They were paying five or six times as much for products that were meeting the same need as the existing products would be. Buying traffic from Facebook was about a quarter of the price, so that suggests that Facebook was determining if there were much better products. In the end, the existing product shop sold about £1,500 worth of products, we sold about £12,000 worth wow. of fake products. So we had about the, the ROI on the new products compared to the existing products was about six times higher, which was amazing. So we had, we had real data to prove how, how people wanted it. How much did you then enjoy the presentation back? You walked into the office after that, put the folder down. Here we go. Look at these numbers. Told you so. We were smugly confident, <laughs> for sure. That was amazing. Yeah. Well, actually, to be, to be, it was interesting because it did change the dynamic of the conversation when we were making the investment pitch to the trustees. We had so much insight and data, and we had almost proved pretty much all the assumptions in the business model. It just flipped the conversation. I mean, it sounds fantastic and amazing. Congratulations on what, on what you achieved. I guess I'm interested in now kind of looking forward. What did you really learn from the the process of, of being through all that eight months of research, launching that. What did you learn from it that you take forward now? Oh, a couple of things for me. Well, there's, I mean, there's lots, but yeah, to, I'm sure. to, boil, to boil down a couple, I think just thinking about sort of my role in the organization and, and selling it in and, and getting the buy-in and the influencing, which is a little bit different from the actual doing of the, yeah. of, of the business. But I think understanding that these things take way longer than you ever think they're going to <laughs> And just accept that they're going to be bumps along the road. Mm. I think the second thing for me that I've really learned is really understand the risk appetite of your organization before you go into something like this. So mm. we had a new chair of trustees who was saying to the executive team, be brave, be innovative. We want new income streams. Mm. But the, the board mm-hmm. of trustees themselves hadn't had a discussion around what their risk appetite was and whether or not they sh- whether or not they shared the same risk appetite mm. which clearly they didn't because when we went to the first investment pitch they wobbled and they mm. they disagreed so i think that would have been a really helpful thing to understand and test early on in the process very interesting i think my big thing is the the power of making it real and, and moving away from it being a theoretical piece to actually cold hard real life facts and that was really exciting and i guess you then actually had to do it which you know maybe we'll leave that bit for now people be flocking for tickets to the next conference that you're talking at and then you know then the real work started with actually having to set up the companies and the governance and the and the putting things in place that then became even more complex than you possibly could have imagined by the sounds of things so the challenge begins for you guys we'll look forward to seeing it brilliant thank you thank you thank you very much thanks my name is uh, Lisbeth. I come from uh, Denmark. And which charity do you come from? It's a children's helpline. It's a Danish uh, helpline. It's called Burns Vilko. Lovely stuff. And what are you hoping to get out of the next couple of days here? A lot of networking. I've been here, I think, 12 times before. So, uh... oh my goodness, so you, you know what you're doing here. We need to hang around with you. So I've explained the drill. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer you some cards. If you could take one, read the question out and then answer it for us. Okay. 
What job did you dream of having as a child? I wanted to be a writer. Any particular genre? I think just, uh, I don't know what you call that in English, like novels, just a, uh, not not facts, but... So uh, fiction? Yes. Fiction, yeah. Or, yeah? Are we talking yeah. kind of murder mysteries here or romance or...? I think, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I've thought about it that much. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, good stuff. Thank you very much. Enjoy the next couple of days. Okay, thank you. <laughs> You are listening to the Do More Good podcast from the International Fundraising Conference. So I've just left a session and midway through that, Kirsten put her hand up and explained about a really interesting project which was running at the Children's Society. So I've grabbed her afterwards to update us on that. Hi, hi James. So I'm Kirsten from the Children's Society and I put my hand up yesterday because we're in a, an interesting position with a product that we've developed. We have a program running at the Children's Society which is focusing on how we could use immersive technologies to impact and help young people. So that's, if you don't know what immersive technologies is, it's stuff like virtual reality, augmented reality, you know, using artificial intelligence, machine learning, it's that kind of thing. But the idea of this is that we have, through working with young people who will come into our services, we see about 9,000, 10,000 young people uh, who come into our drop-in mental health services that are demonstrating some kind of anxiety or depression. And we were thinking, is there a better way that we can help young people instead of or alongside practitioners saying to them, imagine yourself in the scenario that triggers your anxiety. This is a way of actually saying to young people, you can immerse yourself in the scenario using virtual reality with a therapist or a practitioner alongside to help you guide through the situation, give you some coping techniques. You can practice those strategies, but in a very safe space. So what we've done is created five or six different scenarios, which young people have said these are the things that trigger our anxiety. So it's things like public speaking, exam stress, walking down a corridor and everybody's looking at them. Public transport keeps coming up again and again. And the idea is that young people have been using these alongside the therapists to work through those scenarios. So it's like a walkthrough. They uh, coping strategies and techniques kind of pop up onto the screen as they as they walk in through. And we're in early testing still. But the outcomes are looking quite good in terms of young people's engagement with the tech. We know young people love that anyway, right? But this is a kind of very cool way of allowing them to be helped and to kind of develop these coping strategies through anxiety. So funding-wise, we've managed to build a whole program on this based on a number of different grants. So we're very thankful to people like Comic Relief and Paul Hamlin Foundation. We got a grant from a clinical commissioning group in Salford to focus specifically on children in care looked after children and also we won Vodafone Techstarter which is quite a prestigious award and they are helping us look at the business model behind this so yeah so it's it's been really good we're looking at taking it further and now what the you know what the next steps are going to be for this product but there's a lot of interest in it and we're already seeing the change that it's making to children's lives and like on top of it sounds amazing but also a flawless pitch there that was two minutes of, of per- there wasn't there was a single um in there. That was amazing, brilliant stuff. You've obviously done that before. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you telling us about it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so if you can just introduce yourself, tell us where you're from. So I'm Ryan Wilkins. I'm the founder of Raw London. Okay. Welcome, Ryan. So we have some questions in front of you. If you'd like to pick a card, read it out loud, and then uh, give us the answer to the question. This is quite an intense process. Okay. If you could give your 20-year-old self some advice, what would it be? 
I think it's that you can do anything, really. I know that sounds a bit of a cliche, but I think the main thing is, I think if you set your mind something, you soon find, and you niche down on it as well, I think you can very quickly find that you can become an expert in that field. And I think choose one thing, do it well, learn everything you can about it, and opportunities and work will come to you. He's done this before. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, yeah, my daughter's almost going into teenage years now, so I'm going to, I've been working on these. Yeah, 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 it's it's a good one. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Ryan. No problem, no problem. I'm here with Samira from CAF, the Charities Aid Foundation. How have you found the last couple of days? Uh, the last couple of days have been great. I've had the opportunity to attend a couple of different sessions. It's great to have sessions that are action-oriented and practical, so you can walk away with things that I would do when I get back to work. And then there are sessions where it's insightful and gets you thinking about how you could be looking at collaborating collectively. Okay, so you're learning and there's a bit of audience participation in there as well. Yeah, and reflection. And I think that's nice to have spaces where you can sort of get out of the office, be inspired, speak to different people, and sort of broaden your perspective. Yeah, nice, nice. And is it your first time here? Yes, it is. Okay, a fellow newbie, just like us. Yeah, good stuff. Well, you just did a um, a fantastic presentation on giving in Africa. Really good. We haven't got enough time to go through the whole session, but I wanted to pick one bit out, which was what you kicked off with, which was the the CAF World Giving Index. Can you tell us a little bit about what what makes up that index and how you found that? Sure. So the World Giving Index is a report that GAF has been publishing since 2009. It is based on data that's collected as part of the global survey that's conducted by Gallup. So every year they go out and they interview about 150,000 people across 140 countries on a bunch of different questions. We take three. In the past month, have you helped a stranger? Have you volunteered or have you donated money? And we average out the responses of people who are saying yes, and we develop an index for each country. This year, it's a bit special. It's 10 years of data, so we thought we'd do something slightly different. And so we've created an index for each country based on how generous they've been over the past 10 years. A generosity index for countries. And we will get to the results of that when we're going to drill into that. But you also managed to extrapolate some big numbers from that globally as well. So this year's report is based on data from 128 countries. We wanted to make sure that we're including countries for which we had at least eight years of data. And that means that the report is based on interviews with 1.3 million people over the 10-year period. And so the way the data is collected, it is representative of, say, 95% of the population, so about 5.2 billion people. And if you start taking that into consideration, some of the numbers are that actually people across the world are really generous or pretty generous. 2.5 billion people have helped a stranger one-third people globally donate money to charity, and one in five people volunteer at that time. Now, these scores vary considerably uh, based on each country, but at a global level, these are some of the numbers that are coming out. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing stats there. Like you said, actually, people are quite generous out there. Yeah. yeah that maybe we forget that day to day. Yes. Yeah. And then you gave the people what they wanted, which was the league tables of which countries yes. were finishing top and bottom. Uh, do you want to give us the top three Sure. So the top three, we have US, uh, Myanmar and New Zealand. Yeah. And they were about 58%. Yes. Myanmar and US and New Zealand, very, very close. 57, 58%. Yeah. Well done, guys. That is impressive stuff. And then obviously you've got data, did you say, over the last eight years and you've got data from the last 10. Are there any trends that you're noticing through that? There's no magic bullet for why 
what makes up the top 10. We have different regions that are represented, if you look at it. We have different religions. We have some countries that are more affluent than others. In Myanmar, for instance, there's a really, really high percentage of people who donate, and this could be potentially because of their culture of giving around Theravada Buddhism. So there's no magic bullet as such. What's interesting to see, though, is that over the 10-year period, we've seen rises and declines across different giving measures across continents. And so Africa, for instance, as a continent, has been doing really, really well across the scores. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's good to see. Some of the biggest risers are in Asia and in Africa. So three, I'd say Rwanda, South Africa and Kenya over the past 10-year period. Okay, brilliant. And in fact, I think you had had that up. up. So it was Indonesia, Kenya and Singapore were the big three there on on the rising index. And then there was a comment, I think, about the United States that that is actually on the decline over the, this 10 years. So maybe that top spot is up for grabs. Yeah, it's been interesting. The uh, US has a very individual, strong culture of giving. What uh, We've started to see that over the past few years, there is a decline in giving across some of the developed countries. So it's not just US, it's the UK, Australia, New Zealand. And we started to see this in domestic research that's been carried out. So the Chronicle of Philanthropy or Giving US Foundation, they found that middle-income individuals might be donating less. And there are a number of different reasons for this. I think more research is needed. There are hypotheses out there around the fact that it might be because of changes in tax regulation, uh, fundraising regulation. It could also be because there are a number of different movements that are on the rise, like Extinction Rebellion. Mm. So how individuals are looking to engage in civil society might be shifting. And so that might be shifting the way they support traditional forms of civil society. Okay, interesting stuff. You also gave us the lowest three as well. So the lowest three, we've got Yemen, Greece, and China. Yeah, they were around uh, uh, 16, 17%. Yes. Yeah. Okay, and for our mainly UK-based listeners, we finished up at about seventh place, I believe. Yes, you did. About 54%, so not bad. Not, not bad. bad work all. to be done. Yes. But, work, but not too bad. Yeah. And I think the important thing is, you know, this index talks about the act of giving that exists. And hopefully it's shining the light and celebrating the millions who give across the board. And it gets people talking about, well, how do you continue to encourage this giving in all of its different forms? It's not just about money. It's about your time. It's about your assets. About It's about volunteering. And mm-hmm. this civic activism and engagement is really really important because it makes sure that we keep our spaces open and it helps protect those civic spaces yeah okay nice and then you drilled into each different uh, metrics you were measuring and helping a stranger liberia came out on top Mm -hmm. volunteering volunteering is sri lanka yeah yes and uh, on both of those the uk did not finish in the top 10 so poor show (laughs) from uh, from that but on donating money yes on donating ma- money, we have Myanmar, and I think this is, again, linked to their Theravada Buddhism culture of giving. Okay, yeah. yeah. And the UK came in second. I was happy to see. Yes, UK has done really well with that. Good, good. We'll finish on a positive note. And then right at the end of the session, you threw in something really interesting around different cultures. So maybe some cultures are, are, are more happy talking about giving than others. Yeah, different cultures have a different propensity. Some prefer, prefer to be more anonymous about their giving. Some feel like if they talk about their giving, then they are boasting rather than, and it may, may take away from the authenticity. So I think different cultures approach this really differently. In Russia, for instance, 
we have found through our partners that people don't are not very open about their giving and they've been running giving tuesday in russia for a few years now and in the first year they decided well we'd really like people to start talking about how they give their time how they support and just getting them talking about the causes that they care about and they used the idea of making a confession and so that year we had about 3000 confessions of people in Russia talking about their giving which i think can be quite exciting uh, to hear those stories of what gets people emotional and the change that they want to see created yeah nice it was really interesting stuff to see how you adapt your approach in different cultures to to promote giving well you're doing this session again in just a minute. Yes, we are. So another packed room, I'm sure. And then off to the gala after that. Yes, hopefully. Good stuff. I'll see you there. All thank right. Thank you very thank much. Thank you so much. Yes. Cheers. Here we are. There you go. <laughs> how, how many tokens are there? 30 euros. 30 euros. Okay, perfect. Kenneth is just buying his fun tokens. Fun tokens for this evening. We're approved. Wow. We're in. Let's go. Yeah. Wow. Right. 30 tokens. Perfect. Thank you so much. Welcome. Love it. Let's get to the bar. Hello. Can we get two beers, please? Small, large. Uh, large. Large beers. How many tokens is that? Eight. Eight. Woo. My name is Oasa. I work at Greenpeace from the Stockholm office. And my question is, what is the last book you recommended to someone? And uh, it's actually The Unlivable Planet of David Wallace something. Should have known his last name, but... And I really recommend it for everyone to read because it's, yeah, it's a must read. Uh, hi, my name is Mariola Fumero. I'm from a Costa Rican local NGO named Lifting Hands. And my card says, what do you want to be when you grow up? So when I grow up, I want to be a strategy consultant all around the world. Straight in there. Nice. Very good. All right. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast from the IFC 2019. So here we are, James. Unfortunately, we made a mistake tonight, didn't we? Oh, my goodness. One of the worst mistakes we've made since the Greens do this podcast in the first place. I think. <laughs> we were sat on the table on our own, thought, oh, we will attract a few lovely, pleasant evening dinner guests. Quietly enjoying our starters. And what happened? We got ram-raided. <laughs> We, can I can I just interrupt this conversation? I think you invited us over. You waved because you were the only two people sat on the table. Alone. Alone. So, you know, we're helping you out right now. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us where you're from? I'm Julie and I'm from the British Red Cross. Fantastic, Julie. Right, now, Julie, all we want you to do is pick one of these cards, read it out aloud and then answer the question. I feel quite a lot of pressure right now. It's It's at dinner. It's tough. So James has got a lot of cards in front of me. They're bright orange. So I'm going to pull one from the middle. What's the best piece of advice you've been given? I don't know if it's an advice. I guess it's a point rather than advice. And one of my very early bosses said to me, you never move to a job that you can do. 
I think with IFC, you get really inspired and you see lots of exciting things. And I think people are always here at interesting points in their careers. Like, it's good. It's, that's a good thing. It's pushing you out of your comfort zone. Considering you were out till four a.m. Can we stop? Just a just a So we are here with with a member of the Do More Good alumni, and actually, she is partly responsible or fully responsible. I think, I think fully responsible. Fully responsible for the fact uh, that we are sitting in Amsterdam. Our hangovers today are, are completely. I definitely helpful. don't remember seeing you last night. That definitely didn't happen with me. No. So here she is. Puff story, how are you doing? Yeah, no, I'm really good, thank yeah. you. Really, really good. Really good to see you guys at your first IFC. I know, we're the new kids, aren't we? The new little virgins wandering we around. <laughs> yeah. But it's been great, hasn't it? We've oh, really I've loved it. It's been really, really good. We're into the second. It feels like you've been here for days, even though you've yeah. actually only been here for one day. Yeah, from, from so you guys arrived yesterday? Yesterday. Mm. No, day before. Day before. Did we? we arrived the day before. Tuesday night, Tuesday night. late. Yeah. Right, yeah. so okay. yesterday was our first day. How long, how long have you been Bye. here? So I arrived on Monday morning and haven't left the hotel since. Ouch. <laughs> and what was it like the first couple of days? Is there like... Yeah, so Monday is all about prep. So this year, for the first time, I've never done this before, but I delivered a masterclass with Brian Miller on Unscrambling the Latest Tech. And I guess you don't just turn up and then pull together six hours of content. You must no. have been working on this for a yeah. long time. Yep. So we found out that we were delivering or our proposal had been accepted early this year. And then I would say, I mean, it takes hours. Essentially, you're pulling together hundreds and hundreds of slides, but not just the slides. Any mm. reports that you reference, we kind of had to pull together as as evidence and yeah. we've kind of basically put it all together on a usb for the attendees so they've got all of that information but i'd say all in all maybe several weeks between both of us uh, meeting up a couple of times in london and then the last time i met up with brian i was at the barbican and i think we spent two three hours just going through some of the content making sure it was okay and then obviously over email phone call and then the first time we kind of saw all of the slides together was together at the IFC on the Monday. Yeah. You must get a lot out of this. Putting yeah. in all of that work, it's, it's, it's worth it to come here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're lucky enough to be a masterclass speaker, you get your ticket paid for and you get all of your accommodation paid for. I'm, a, I'm part of an agency, so we've covered like travel costs and then any food and drink I'll cover. But everything else gets covered by, by Resource Alliance for the IFC. And you were just talking a, a minute ago about the reasoning for coming in, coming here. You've just described a, a lot of work, a lot of efforts gone yeah. into it from your behalf, but it's not necessarily about your business objectives, no, is it? Like no, 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 not at all. So talk about that. I, I don't come to the IFC to generate leads, to mm. get business. I come here because of the network that's here. I've learned so much, so many valuable lessons, uh, so much insight from the talented people that come here to yeah. IFC. But it is kind of like a family. It's a community. It's a really strong uh, community. And I think I, like the first time I came, I saw it as a huge opportunity to give something back to that community. Any community, you know, you want to feel like you can add something. You want to yeah. feel like you can add value. And I think because I've got a background in technology, I've got, I, 
I've got experience with the third sector. I felt mm. like I could add something back. Mm. And I think I'm quite passionate about bringing the next generation into, into yes. sectors. Yeah. And if you look around, it's great. We've got so many experienced, talented people. But you look at the next generation of fundraisers coming through, you don't see as many here. Yeah, It's expensive to come to IFC. And you have to build a business case to come here. And I think that's quite a challenge for a young person in fundraising. Yeah. So You talked there about seeing your fundraising family here yeah. and your kind of networks. And we've, um, just being sat with you for five minutes, we've already met your, your weird uncle, <laughs> your, your good-looking <laughs> brothers walked past. You're the most popular person here. But that's a big part of it as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it absolutely is. And, you know, don't <coughs> get me wrong, this is only my third IFC. So that you've got people around. I mean, you've got a gentleman over there at the bar. He's been coming for over 20 years wow and uh brian miller again very similar situation so it was his seventh year presenting a masterclass, not consecutive years but just over the years i've learned a lot from them so my first ifc i remember i kind of i felt like a like a rabbit or deer in headlights i didn't know anyone and it was really intimidating there was so many people like you you have over a thousand people and you just don't know anyone but if you notice that everyone's really friendly People. Yeah, they are really friendly. I was going to say that. Like, it does. It feels like when you're coming in that everyone kind of wants to support you and help you, and you know, it make has, sure you get the most out of it. Absolutely, mm. it has a very different feel. And it I does. Yeah, I'm. I'm probably biased, but I don't go to any other conferences where I, it has that feel where people will openly, uh, you know, invite you in and have a conversation with you. And if you look lost, or if you look lonely, or if you look confused, they'll come and they'll talk to you and they'll support you. Yeah. I've seen people around here stick microphones in those people's faces. The ones that look vulnerable and lost. Straight I was going to say, we were trying to be friendly last night, weren't we? When we, we went into the, the dinner reception and, and sat down on a table, we thought we'd get a seat. Make won't take long friends. before people yeah. come over. And then by the end of it, it was about five minutes before the dinner was served and we were still sat there alone. Oh, um, no! And so we just started waving to random people. Luckily, we were joined by um, three, three lovely... Yeah, by the end of the night, it was, it was absolutely howling yeah. in there. You were, you were um, I yeah. was... Yes, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I, no, I want to hear fun. more about that. Well, maybe we'll leave that for another podcast. Oh, right, okay. um, <laughs> back to the show. So what's it going to be like when you get back? What, do you, what were you going to reflect on, do you think, when you've... Wow. This is my third IFC, my first delivering a masterclass. I think I have a newfound respect for those people delivering masterclass really? and workshops. Okay. Honestly, it's a lot, of, a lot of effort. So six and a half hours worth of content for a masterclass. So you also need to deliver three 90-minute workshops. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, so it's hard it's, work presenting. It's to present like that. That's yeah. quite hard work. And yeah. then drink all night as well. Ab- that's absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, the two... I've been. To, I've managed to get to two sessions. So yesterday I went to... I wish I'd thought of that. Oh, oh s- here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go on, then. Has been announced yet? Uh, I don't know if it has been announced. I haven't seen yet. anything. No, no I haven't seen anything. Kenneth has got space in his suitcase for the trophy. The How trophy. did your talk go? <laughs> Went okay, I think. Oh, yeah, it was, it, yeah you, it was really, really good. Oh, thank you. You don't need to say that. <laughs> I know I don't, but I purposely went to that session because A, you were talking, mm. and B, it had had such rave reviews last year. The format, I think, really, really The format's worked. really great, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed sitting there and and watching everybody else give the talk. And then as it got to me, I was like, oh god, can it just go past me? But yeah, in the it end, was it was packed right. out. I was digging was for a right. bit of goss on you earlier with the the lady in reception, and she was she was nothing but nice about you. I know, <laughs> I know. Yeah, a bit and disappointing. Then, really. And then a bit of the abuse I'm now getting on Twitter because I got everyone standing up. Did you did you yes, get up and did I you did, did you jog up. and stand did, up? Yes, and I run? did, Good. and I was in heels. I was in four inch heels. <laughs> I was like, great. Yeah, so I've been referred to as Mr. Motivator by a friend of mine on the um, <laughs> on, on, on Twitter overnight. But it, no, was it was a good. great tactic. Great, what, like getting people up yeah. and doing. What else did you see? Uh, I saw that yesterday, and then today I've been to a gaming session with Twitch and Tiltify, and that was supposed to be really good, wasn't it? It I was good re- reviews. Yeah, yeah, so there was a big room session earlier today. Annoyingly, I was delivering a workshop, so I couldn't go, but they replayed that. I think around two o'clock, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, it was really good. I learned lots, and I, I mean what war child have done oh yeah is, oh it's amazing isn't uh, it? a, like absolutely amazing and yeah. i think i don't think people are grasping how big an opportunity this sector yeah. is and i think that's really difficult to communicate so people see it as an opportunity but i think by people who do you mean well just like the sector i think the, se- the sector are perhaps quite risk averse okay and i think with gaming you you don't have as much control that you would in other channels. And I yeah. think with gaming, there are a lot of unknowns. And I don't think people like to take the risks. I don't think branding teams want their brands associated with people that might do some weird and wacky things. But still, there's opportunity to raise some amazing amounts of money for some amazing causes. So I've learned lots. And it was a really interesting room. But if you looked around the room and the demographic of the room and the types of people, it was very, very different to mm. what you'd see in perhaps other sessions here at um, IFC. So, yeah, it was a, a stark contrast. You've, you've come away with that with some, with some nice learnings. People yeah. have left your masterclass with some nice treats as well, <laughs> haven't they? <laughs> they have. Yes, they absolutely have. So the masterclass we did was on unscrambling uh, the latest tech and... We wanted to provide people with a strategic framework where they could review new types of technology. So Brian Miller, oh my God, he's amazing, basically talked people through the Gartner hype cycle and encouraged people to do their own hype cycle on the new types of technology and what that meant for their organization and where they were along the hype cycle. So we covered lots of different types of technology, one of them being uh, 3D printing. Mm. So we had naughtily managed to acquire photos of our masterclass attendees and had 3D Lego superhero characters printed of them. Brilliant. Love it. And then halfway (laughs) through the masterclass, we surprised them with these 3D figures. And they seemed to go down quite well. Oh, I bet they did. It was a pleasant surprise, quite a talking point. And then at the end of the first day, we also managed to create a chat. And we just wanted to show people that you don't need to be really technical, like a developer, to be able to play about with this kind of technology. Yeah. Like you can do it yourself. You know, we we took people live to the to the Watson supercomputer, and we were training a model or around a chatbot we'd created. And it didn't cost anything. It was free. tangible, practical learnings yeah. that come out of it, having done it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think what's great with particularly the masterclasses is, and I think you you do for the, all of the workshops here as well but you get all of the slides right so when people go back to their organizations and they're trying to make a business case for something they've got all of they've the information got. there yeah. sounds like you uh, you quite enjoyed this teaching role no <laughs> it was it was fun it was really really good a lot of hard work but it's different from a bit like, i mean you're a business development yeah, right you're absolutely. a client facing professional yeah. and then to kind of go in there and have to 
train and teach. I know, and, but I think, know. do you know what? We're all just humans. We're just people. And everyone is here to learn something. Yeah. And I think, you know what? I do have quite a lot of experience in the tech world. And, you know, I, I, I'm learning stuff from my team every single day. I've learned mm. how to create a voice skill. I'm not mm. a developer. Mm. I wouldn't claim to be a developer. Mm. But yesterday we, we made a voice skill. And today as well in our workshop around voice, we weren't going to, but we ended up making another voice skill because it's just nice to show people that, look, if you build a little bit of confidence around this, you don't you can do this yourselves. Yeah. And I think nothing but good can it's come out of it. Extremely technical and specialised like a podcast, is it? You know, the, <laughs> the level of training that you have to years and years of technical know how. Yeah. Maybe that. we should do that. Maybe that could be the masterclass for for next year, couldn't it? Um how to create a podcast. I'm not sure we can get we'll six <laughs> hours out of it. We'll last about <laughs> We'll last about 10 minutes. Entire season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So tell but, yeah. me, guys, what is the one thing that you've taken away from IFC so far? I'm taking home a quite, quite substantial hangover. Self-inflicted. Entirely self-inflicted. I, I think, well, one thing I'm going to take away is being an ambassador for this place because it has been a brilliant couple of days. And I said to you earlier, everyone told us it was going to be good. And almost... The hype cycle was big. I don't know yeah, what the hype cycle is. But the yeah, hype yeah. was high around this one. Everyone said it was going to be brilliant. So it lived up to expectation. That is all true. I learned some really interesting stuff about culture just now. So okay. And how different cultures give and, and are open about giving. So approaching different types of people in, in, in not a what, cookie cutter, one fits all yeah. way. And then that, was, that was a good session I just did on that. I think for me... It's always difficult because you come away and you you can have like a massive generalisation now about what you've what you've taken. But I think from the sessions that I've been and heard from, it's about risk, and it's the people that are kind of ma- able to manage that risk internally are the ones that are pushing boundaries. Yeah. And I guess we all we're all I like to think we're all in this because we like to innovate, yeah. we like to try new things. But ultimately, over the next few years, in terms of technology, in terms of the future of political system, whatever's yeah. going to happen, we're going to have to take some risks. And actually hearing from people that have taken risks and seen them pay off, mm. for me, is something that you can go away with and say, well, actually, I remember that. When I come to a point where I need to make a decision or I need to take a risk, then I'll, I'll use that reference. Yeah. That sounds a bit of a wishy-washy answer. No, but it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. And I think what you won't realise yet, but when you leave the conference, you've still got this amazing network that you've cura- curated here we, at we've IFC. Met so many pe- we've, we've put stickers on so many people's lanyards. Oh my God, stickers? Uh, you know I don't sticker? have a sticker. Where's yeah, my we'll sticker? We'll put a sticker on your Lego, Lego person. <laughs> I'll have um, one on my phone. We've, yeah, <laughs> the number of people that we've met or we've known and got to know better here because yeah. we've had the opportunity to have yeah. a drink with them or a bit of a chat on a walk to a session or whatever. Yeah. And the amount of people really that have asked me for London Marathon places is just <laughs> like... <laughs> you practically... Oh God, you, God. London Marathon next year is sold out. Yeah, I know. We've definitely been we've been struggling for numbers, so uh, you know, (laughs) giving a few more out. Sorry, sorry, guys. But no, I think you're right. I think it's you know the network, as you say, is is been great. Yeah, and 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 that doesn't stop, and it doesn't go away. And I think that's what I found to be amazingly special. So after my first IFC. I went away and then it was like a week afterwards, two weeks afterwards, people would reach out to you and they would ask you questions. She's um, got a sticker now. Yeah, I know. I'm really happy. Ah! <laughs> it's nice. And I think that builds over the years and that's why people do keep coming back because it is actually, it's invaluable being around these people. It's really inspiring. So I know when I go back, it will just make me more motivated to do 
more good. Like, yeah. I want to help people. I want to change things. So you were saying that um, a lot of people come back, but there was, was it 60% of people? Yeah, on average, 60% first timers. Okay. But you think about it, it is an expensive conference to come to. Yeah. In my opinion, it would be good not to do it consecutively, but maybe every other year, I think, is an interesting pattern. But I think mm. if you are first-timers, maybe do come the next year just to build that network and just yeah. to see. But, yeah, and, you but know... If somebody's out there thinking about coming, then there were 60% of people here at first-timers. Yeah. Oh, you absolutely, were feel absolutely. And, I, and there was something really amazing. So yesterday at 5.30, so I shouldn't say this, but... It's probably known as the graveyard slot, 5.30 till 6.30, because at that point, people go back to their hotels, you know, they'll get ready for dinner. But actually, for the first time, they trialed a new format called IFC Introducing. So they basically had first-time speakers, so up-and-coming speakers here at the IFC. So they gave them a platform to talk for the first time. Oh, it's a bit like an open mic. It, well, so they, ha- they, they had to apply, and the presentations had to get vetted in advance. Yeah. And I think typically you'd probably get about 20, maybe 30 people max at those sessions. At the one that I was looking after, there were two great speakers, Damien from Police Care UK and Kata from SOS Children's Villages. They both did a fantastic job, but they had 75 people in wow. the room. Like they had to keep getting extra chairs. And there was another um, IFC introducing at the same time as us. I think that was on like digital events. And I want to say that had over 100 people. Hmm. Like... I mean, this that's is amazing. amazing. Yeah, You're yeah, yeah. seeing the new generation of people coming through. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's there's an appetite for it. It's really important. And I think it's relatable. A lot of people can relate to, you know, your first job in fundraising, your f- your first post, and yeah, it's good. Loving it. Yeah. God, they scare me. These kids coming in, all they're really <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have a couple of hours, and then the gala tonight. Yes. You have you got set? your fancy dress outfits? Um. That's an awkward silence. Yes. Yeah. Uh, We've been no, just doing so basically. much prep for okay. a masterclass. Oh, all yeah. right. Yeah. So, but you're wearing yours now, right? No. So <laughs> I was. Well, I've been championing the theme all week. So every day I've worn a different animal print Have outfit. You? Oh. Clever. But there is a fancy dress shop that opens at five pm around the I corner. Got an, I got oh, an update yes. on my app. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So you can um, you can hire something, purchase something, and right. then join in the festivities. We will do that. They we will, do, we will last be doing week that. They had like, last week, last year, they had like face painting or body painting as well. Like there's some amazing stuff that happens. What kind of conference is this? I we, think we will find out. Yeah, you will, yeah. Find, we'll out. find out. Prepare to be wowed. That's a nice note to leave it on then, isn't it? We better yeah. go and sort out our costumes. Go trousers. Exactly. Exactly. Great stuff. Thank you, Pat. Oh, thank no you. No worries. Thanks, yeah, great guys. Great to speak to you. And where can people find you if they want to speak to you? You're on it. You're on Twitter. You're all over Twitter. I am Twitter. on Twitter at Sophia Puff. Sophia Puff. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Perfect. See you soon. Thanks. Cheers. Oh, what made you want to come to IFC this year? Oh, it's it's actually personally I was going through a bit of a you know difficult time, and uh, I had to step back from fundraising. And if there's one place you could come to to just re-energize yourself in the world, it's here. Because it's just the ability just to connect with people and have conversations, um, you know, in the bar, you know, in between sessions, as, you know, as well as get all that learning. But I think there's some energy that you get out of IFC. You come away exhausted, but you come away energized. Um, and I don't think there's anywhere quite like that that captures this. So it's, it's really good to be here. Brilliant. Thank you so much, guys.
Okay, my name is Diletta. I come from Lithuania. It's one of the Baltic states. Oh my God. What is the worst job you ever had? Once I was the guard at the car um, parking place. It was my first job. <laughs> and I, I had to spend uh, like 24 hours every third night. It was the worst job I ever had, yeah. Hi, uh, you're listening to Do More Good Podcast from International Fundraising Conference. So James, here we are on the final morning of IFC and we have saved the best till last. We right. have definitely saved the best for last. We have. We have. Last <laughs> night we were introduced by Nikki Bell to Kashana Palmer. That's Who me. joins us this morning. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be able to hang out with both of you. No, it's brilliant. We've caught you just post one session. You've been all over the place. The last all over of days. the place. You've been the star of the show. <laughs> Is that true? Oh, that's what I'm hearing. That's what. First of all, where's my check? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> How's, how's your IFC experience been? This has been great. I have to say, I speak at a lot of conferences. Mm -hmm. And so I get to see all of the sort of behind the scenes. And when you're a speaker, you know, d depending on where you go in the world, you sort of see how people are treated and mm -hmm. what people are grappling with. And what I love about this particular conference is just the joy mm -hmm. that folks are bringing to being around each other and the curiosity they're bringing to some of the topics that were presented here. And then the way the experience has been created for all of the attendees, to me, that's been pretty dope. Cool. And so just for those listeners that don't know who you are and haven't been able to attend one of the sessions here, what's your background in terms of the kind of social good space? Absolutely. So if you don't know me by now... <laughs> <laughs> You will do soon. Yes, I will say. No, my name is Kashana Palmer, friends. So I am a recovering fundraiser, first and foremost. Every time I try to get out, y'all, they, they pull me back. <laughs> so I just made it a part of my business model, right? That's good. I like that. <laughs> so I run a boutique a consulting firm, and we focus on management and leadership because we believe that you bring all of your personal stuff to work. Mm -hmm into the way you manage, into the way you work, and into the way you live. Mm -hmm. And so we focus on leading well and on living well. So I do a lot of consulting um, with talent teams, with leadership, with boards on how they are able to really bring people into their organizations mm -hmm. who are going to grow with them and who are really excited about bringing forth talent and really amazing talent. Okay. So that's the body of the work I do. So I coach and train and you know i live in the delta terminal just so y'all know <laughs> that's I do. so what's your background how did you get how did uh, kashana get to yeah. get to that like so you know like many folks i slipped and fell in the kitchen, yeah, in the kitchen floor <laughs> <laughs> um, i started out in investment banking and then after b school i wanted to do something different wow. and so i started out at a large organization up in new england where i used oh. to live and then i started on project management and then one day someone asked me to run a campaign and so I started raising money for the organization. Yeah. And I've had a really weird career in that I sort of jumped from grant writer to project manager to head of development. And then I've been in the sort of that chief spot ever since. And so lots of folks have an experience where they become a VP of development or head of fundraising at some point. But almost all of my roles has been in that executive leadership space. So it's just had a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay. And being in those executive leadership spaces yeah. that led on nicely to your, your talk yesterday around sticky teams. Absolutely. Could you just give us a bit of a summary of that? So yeah. So you would think that because I've raised lots of money with organizations that that's really what I did, y'all. But no, 
what I did was hire people, mm. a lot of people, mm. in fundraising, in marketing, in comms, in policy. Most of my roles uh, were, were over those verticals. And so I just found that over time that if I focused on our organization's number one asset, which are our people, to be clear, then we would be able to propel our missions in ways that we weren't able to when we were just focused on mission. Mm -hmm. And so I started to think if I can make it so that every single person that works with me and for me is set up well to go into their next organization and lead that organization, that I'm really creating space for real leadership mm -hmm. at across our sector. Mm -hmm. And so essentially most of my time was spent in, in talent and talent management and human capital. And so that's how I ended up doing what I do now. So I really believe that if you figure out how to hire great people, first you've got to find them mm -hmm. and then to retain great people, then you will put your organization in a better position to be sustainable over time. Like, and that's a huge subject and we could probably sit here for hours and we, we're, oh we're all gosh. kind of looking around going, right, we've got to get to the airport. Yes, we've got to yes, get all the these bus, flights the and planes. So we've only got a few minutes with sure. you, but I just, I guess in terms of your question, what, what I would like to ask is what's kind of the one thing, or, or maybe there's a couple of things that you see in terms of organizations or your experience you go in there and you're like, okay, you're, you're, you're not doing this quite quite right in terms of kind of managing their talent. Yeah, so. I think that the thing that I, the one thing, folks are exhausted mm. and they are hiring from an, a place of exhaustion. And when you're exhausted, you just don't make good decisions. Your fight or flight mode is what becomes your way of being. And so you can do that, but it's like putting a Band-Aid on an open wound. It doesn't really stick. Mm. And so my one thing is take a step back from the, the urgency you feel in making that next hire and think about what does success look like for us mm -hmm. in the next 18 months, in the next 24 months? And what would we need to see, to hear, and believe in order to be able to attract the kind of folks to our organization who can help us get there? Mm -hmm. And nice. then the third thing and the last thing I think in that one thing yeah. is in making sure that we're looking at that through the lens of are we being inclusive? Are mm. we treating our process equitably? Are we looking at having a diverse pool so that we can get to a diverse candidate? Or are we just having a pool so we to say we had one? So that's a really good point. So maybe once you're a bit calmer about the decision-making process, where do you find these people? How do you go about that? Absolutely. I think a lot of times we hear this uh, expression now called te you know 10xing something. Mm. So really stepping outside of my network. I gave an example that now, because people know that I do work around management and leadership, folks will tag me in comments from people from their own networks about things to do with management and leadership. Nice. Hey, Kashana, did you see this? Mm. And so what's awesome about that is if you actually look at your network differently mm. and see who is in, you lose, use LinkedIn, for example, mm. see who's in your second sphere and your third sphere and what are they doing and what are they operating on and reach out to them. And so what I think organizations are not doing is they're going, I'm going to put up this really dry, stale toast of a job description, and I'm going to wish and pray and hope that everybody finds it. And they want this dry, stale toast, too, as opposed to <laughs> let me market my organization and tell you how sexy it is and what's why it's so awesome to work here and what the problem is you're helping us solve and invite you in. Well, it's a campaign in itself, isn't it? You're trying to find Correct. Exactly that. We've put so much more effort into into the work we do rather than finding people to do that work. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I think we can wrap it up there. That she's just dropped knowledge. Yes, like, come dropped on. Knowledge drop this bombs. mic and this knowledge. Hey, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. We Thank really you. Appreciate thank it. you Anybody for having me. Wants to find, I mean, obviously, I'm just connecting with you on LinkedIn now, so no, I can, absolutely. you can access my sphere. <laughs> um, All of them. <laughs> 
Where can people find you if they want to hear more? Sure. I am across all social mm-hmm. at Fund Diva, mm-hmm. so like fundraising. So F U N D D I V A across all platforms. Mm-hmm. And on LinkedIn at Kashana, K I S H S H A N A Palmer. And if you want to check out my website, you can go to Kashanaco.com. Google will correct it if you spell my name incorrectly, nice. you know, y'all. So Kashanaco.com. And you can check me out, but connect with me on social and I, I respond to everybody still. Perfect. Well, look. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, safe trip home. Thank, Thank you so you. much Same for your time. Same to you. Same to you. Thank you for having me, for us no. to be able to hang out for a few minutes. Yeah, no worries. And we'll hopefully see you next year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Take care. Thank Take you. Take care. So, James, just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right, wasn't it? <laughs> If anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth, at Do More Good Pod. Instagram, at Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi-channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website, domoregood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk. 